Good morning. Give me a moment as I get situated. You guys doing all right? All right, it's all right to talk back to the preacher. If I, if I say, say amen, it's all right for you to say amen. I know it gets a little quiet in here, but if you want me to get done, you talk back. Amen. Amen. All right. This morning, we will be taking a look at God's word, and we will um, continue on in the book of Hebrews. And I know that this particular passage was just read, um, but we want to read it again because it will be our primary focal text. Hebrews 6.13 through 20. And the word of God reads as follows. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For men swear by something greater than themselves. And for them, a confirming oath ends every dispute because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise. He guaranteed it with an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for our lives, safe and secure. It enters in, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Give me a moment as I pause for a quick word of prayer. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of grace divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast hope, and my will be lost in thy in Jesus' name. Amen. Christian Arthur Reverend J.D. Berry writes, In this life, pain and suffering are unavoidable. Frequently, life makes unbearable. And frequently life makes uh, this pain and suffering unbearable. When we are hurting, we search for people who can sympathize with our weaknesses, trying to avoid or trying to find a way to face today. When we don't find someone we can help us, who can help us in time, we often plummet into the pit of despair. The author of the book of Hebrews is likely writing to Jewish converts to the Christian faith. This is the time when converts to the Christian faith are facing tremendous persecution throughout the whole of the Roman Empire. For the first century Christian, Christians were often ostracized by family and friends and faced extreme societal rejection. To convert from Judaism to Christianity even today is considered a taboo subject in many Jewish homes. Early converts were seen as rebels, rebellious to God and to country, rebellious to Rome, traitors, outcasts of society, and as such bore the brunt of many outlandish and frivolous accusations. Consequently, they were often accused of being atheists, 
because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. They were accused of being cannibals and incestuous for partaking in communion. This is what we're going to partake in today. But they were accused of being cannibals because of that, because they didn't understand. And they were accused of being incestuous because, incestuous because of their frequent gatherings. Yeah, because of their frequent gatherings. And thus, many were victims of horrendous crimes against humanity. The writer of Hebrews, without a doubt, witnessed the condition of this group of believers. He saw their suffering, their hurt, the unjust maimings, and the executions. The writer most likely had been a victim of this sort of persecution as well. A persecution that was so extreme that it may have tempted even the strongest amongst them to waver in their faith and their commitment to the one who saved their souls and revert, and revert back to the old covenant way. Thus the motive for the strong rebuke against apostatizing at the latter end of the preceding chapter in the first third of the current chapter of our focal text. Considering the growing opposition and hostility of the world around them and the mounting demonic oppression, the writer exhorts these precious believers to persevere in the faith by focusing their hope on the superiority of Christ and his saving power. He wanted to let them know that when all hell is breaking loose around them and that, that they can anchor their hope on the fact that God is good, his word is sure, and their salvation has been secured. This morning, like the writer of the epistle Hebrews, I would like to focus your attention, our attention, to these three truths in hopes of strengthening our faith. So what we want to focus on first is the fact that God is good. We're going to make three proclamations this morning. We've already stated them, but the first one is God is good. In chapters 6, 15, or 6, 13 through 15, the writer is reminding the saints of the hope, the great hope that we have in Christ Jesus by using a well-known biblical story that any first century Christian convert to Christian excuse me, any first century Jewish convert to Christianity would know. He goes back to Genesis 22, 16 through 17, where Abraham displayed his faith to God by his willingness to sacrifice Isaac. God swore by himself surely to bless Abraham and to multiply his descendants. Then the author applies, the, applies this to the heirs of the promise, the believers in Christ. Hebrews 6, 13 through 14 says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Here the writer of Hebrews brings to mind the scene of how the Lord displays his goodness in encouraging Abraham to continue on in the faith. You will recall that Abraham was called out of paganism to follow after the Lord. And he did just that, believing the promise of the Lord that he would bless him and make him a great nation and that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. That's Genesis 12, 1 through 3. When he struggled with God's fulfillment of the promise, the Lord gave him assurance and Abraham believed in, believed in the Lord and, and the faith. And that faith was accounted to him as righteousness. It was a long time before Isaac was born. Abraham being about 75 when he received the promise. 
and about 100 when the promise came to pass. I'm sure that the gap between the promise and the fulfillment was in the writer's mind as he wrote, exhorting this group of Christians to remember the example of Abraham. One good implication that we can glean from this text thus far is that if, this, if things appear slow with God, it does not mean that he has forgotten or that he will not perform. And then God tells Abraham to do the hardest thing imaginable, to offer his son as a sacrifice upon Mount Moriah. Isaac was the immediate fulfillment of the promise, yet Abraham believed that God would raise him from the dead and to continue to fulfill his promise to him. It was after this testing of faith that the Lord confirmed through an oath that he would fulfill the promise given to him, recorded in Hebrews 6.13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. The writer of Hebrews is reminding these struggling Christians that Abraham, who was living with much less revelation than we live with in terms of Jesus Christ being revealed, continued on in the faith because God is good and is faithful to accomplish what he has promised. And we too are to be encouraged in looking at these believers who struggled as we do, yet persevered by the help of the Lord. We want to move on to our second point. Our second point, God's word is sure. We're talking about the reliability of God's word. For people swear by something greater. This is Hebrews, uh, the sixth chapter, 16, verse 16 through 18. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Why did God make an oath to Abraham? It certainly was not due to any unreliability on God's part. Rather, the oath was due to the sinfulness of man. New Testament scholar Philip Hughes rightly comments that God should bind himself to an oath as a reflection not on the divine credibility, but on the perversion of the human situation. Abraham already had God's promises. That should have been more than enough. But we see that Abraham did not ask God to swear to him. God chose to do it as an encouragement to Abraham. He chose to do that as an encouragement to Abraham, knowing that Abraham could not live up to his end of the bargain. Everything stems from the goodness of God and not from us. The strength of an oath is found in the character of the one offering it, as well as the value placed upon the oath. 
if a career criminal makes an oath, then you probably will discount his reliability. If he promises you something, you would probably discount it. You wouldn't believe him because you know that individual's character. Often as a child, I would hear those around me swearing an oath, myself included. We would frivolously run around and say, I, I swear, I, we used to say it like this, I put that on my mama. That's how I used to say it growing up. I put it on my mama. Knowing that I was lying, knowing that I wasn't going to do what I said that I was going to do. But our father, he isn't like that. God is not like us. God is dependable. We aren't dependable. God's word is true. We tell half-truths. We aren't as dependable as God is. Our God isn't like that. God is good. God is trustworthy and reliable because what? The Father does not change. Malachi 3.6 through 7 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. James 1.17 says, Every good and, good and uh, every perfect gift it's from God above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Number two, Jesus Christ does not change. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Number three, God's word is unchanging. Psalms 119, 89 says, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Matthew 24 and 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And number four, God's counsel will stand. Psalms 33 and 11 says, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. And Numbers 23 and 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man, that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Brothers and sisters, this is indeed good news for those of us that may be struggling today. Are you struggling with doubt? These believers were struggling with doubt. This group of believers, they were struggling with doubt. Are you being spiritually oppressed and facing persecution because of your faith? These believers were being oppressed and they were facing persecution because of their faith. I've stopped by here this morning to remind you that the word of God is replete with examples of God's goodness and faithfulness to his people. We move on to our third and final point. Our salvation has been secured. We have this as a sure and steadfast, this is Hebrews uh, 6.19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order 
of Melchizedek. He gives three. Uh, he gives us three descriptions of this anchor of hope. First, it, it it is sure. This word points to the indisputability of the safety of the one whose soul has been anchored in Christ. There is nothing that can topple the believer's hope. Paul had the same idea in mind when he penned the words found in Romans eight thirty-eight through thirty-nine. For I am persuaded, persuaded that neither life or that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We are safe with the anchor of hope. Secondly, we find that the anchor of the soul, or rather the object in which we anchor our souls, is steadfast. This points to the stability of the anchor of hope, or, uh, yeah, the stability of the anchor of hope in which, uh, when it is anchored in Christ, that it is firm within him. In other words, there is no weakness in hope as the anchor of the soul. We do not have to worry about this hope being bankrupt. It is thoroughly established and firm in Christ. Third, the third description of hope as the soul's anchor demonstrates the place where the anchor rests. An anchor grabs onto the floor of the ocean and holds the vessel securely. But the shifting sands of this world offer nothing to secure us for eternity. My question to you today is where are you anchored? In whom or what have you placed your hope today? Are we placing our hope in this world's political system? Are we placing our hope in our jobs? Are we placing our hope even in our families and our friends? This morning, I want to encourage you to place your hope in Christ because Christ is the only sure and firm foundation and he is the only one worthy of our trust and our faith and our hope. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, you and I placed our hope in the Lord. There's a song that we used to sing when I was a little boy that says, the title of it says, Our Soul Has Been Anchored in the Lord. And I just want to read this briefly to you because I want you to understand and I want you to, to get it. But the song simply says, Through the storms that keep on raging in my life and sometimes it's hard to tell the night from day, still that hope that lies within is reassured as I keep my eyes upon the distant shore. I know he'll lead me safely to that blessed place he has prepared. But if the storms don't cease, and if the winds keep on blowing in my life, my soul has been anchored in the Lord. I realize that sometimes in this life we're going to be tossed to and fro in the waves and the currents that seem so fierce. But in the word of God, I've got an anchor. Oh, yes, I have that keeps me steadfast, unmovable, despite the tide. But if the storms don't cease, and if the winds keep on blowing in my life, my soul has been anchored in the Lord. The billows may roll, the breakers may dash. I would not stray because he holds me fast. So dark the day clouds in the sky. I know it's all right because Jesus is not. My soul has been anchored. You crush me down, but Jesus picks me up. 
He sticks right by me when the going gets tough. My soul has been anchored in the Lord. Jesus is the only one who is worthy of our trust and worthy of our <coughs> worthy of our faith. <clears throat> and because of what Jesus has done on the cross, he has demonstrated that he is worthy of us to put our hope and our trust in him. Amen. Though the storms keep on rolling in our life, I believe that is what the author of the book of Hebrews is trying to express to these dear believers is that when all hell is breaking loose and when we're going through our struggles, when we're going through the pain, when we're going through trials and when we're going through temptations, remember in who in, in who you put your trust and that Jesus is better than what you came from. Jesus is better than what you had. Jesus is better than your current situation. Jesus is better than your current uh, circumstances. And to look to Jesus despite all of your opposition, look to Jesus despite uh, what it may look like all around you. You may be oppressed, you may be depressed, you may be whatever it is that you're facing, put your hope in Jesus Christ because Jesus is worthy. Amen. Scripture makes it clear, uh, makes it clear what Jesus' purpose was. Verse 19 again says, we have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters in into the inter inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Abraham understood that promise because God made that promise to Abraham. God not only promised Abraham his son, or a son, he fulfilled that promise, but he also said that his heirs were going to be great, and that through his heirs, the whole world was going to be blessed. What are we talking about? What is that scripture saying to us? How are we going to be blessed through the heir of Abraham? I believe that's pointing to Jesus. And any scholar will look at that and say that that's pointing to Jesus. Jesus came to fill, to fulfill the promise that God gave to Abraham. And many more promises in Scripture, Jesus came and he fulfilled those promises. Amen. And because Jesus came, and fulfilled those promises, like I said before, we have hope and we have purpose. Our purpose is not, be, not only our purpose, but it's the purpose of Christ. Amen. And so with that being said, brothers and sisters, I encourage you this morning to look to Jesus. To look to Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith and continue to place your hope 
on Jesus and in Jesus because Jesus came and he was the forerunner. And Jesus came and he lived and Jesus came and he died and Jesus came and he resurrected and he took upon himself the sins of the world. And because of that, we're free. I used to hear a preacher long ago when I was a little boy and he used to close his sermons by saying that living Jesus loved me, dying Jesus saved me, buried Jesus carried my sins far away. Rising Jesus justified me. Je Rising Jesus justified me. Do you guys, are you catching that picture right there? Rising Jesus justified. And then one day he's coming back, one glorious day. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you, God, for the opportunity um, uh, just to, just to, to express your goodness to your people. And I pray, Lord, that we were fed. I pray, God, that, that we would take this word and we would run with it and we would be encouraged throughout the week and uh, let this word strengthen us in Jesus' name. Amen.